This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Peter, go to chapter uh, number 5, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 12. And uh, I want to teach a little bit this morning, if that's okay. I'll try and refrain from... Uh, you know, yelling and preaching too loud, and just I wanted to kind of teach this morning. I was in my uh, my read through this week, and and in my Bible reading plan, I came to this verse, and I just stopped in the middle at, at my little uh, table there at my house with my coffee and my screaming kids. Ain't nothing like reading the Bible with coffee and screaming kids. Get a hold of a word from God. But I, I underlined this verse, and I just thought it was so applicable to the series that we're in. If you're new to our church, we're in the middle of a series called the Face of Grace. We believe that grace is not a theology as much as grace is a person. Grace is not a system. Grace is a man. His name is Jesus. He's the name of grace. He's the face of grace. And we believe that Jesus has enough grace for you and enough grace for this church. Somebody say amen. And I just want to tell you out of this verse, I'm going to preach out of this verse. I love what Peter is saying. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter is, um, well, he's a man that has been so loyal to God and yet he also betrayed God. He's a man that has a faith like ours. You ever notice that your faith is not as consistent as you'd like it to be? Peter's had some ups and some downs, some trials and some tribulations. He's gone through some things in life, so he knows what a true grace is. Watch what he says here. He's writing this letter, and at the end of his letter, he's talked about grace in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. He's in the very end, his farewell to this whole letter he's writing, and watch what he says here in verse number 12. It says, with the help of Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. He said, I've been testifying. I've been writing to you about the true grace of God. In other words, at this point of time, there was a, 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 a grace that was swirling, some false teachers that wanted to make grace something that it's not that wanted to teach a grace that would not deliver, a grace that was still filled with works, a grace that still put pressure on the believer. And he's writing, Peter, out of experience of grace, he's saying, let me write to you what a true grace really is. I want to preach today for our church. We are not teaching a false grace. We are teaching a true grace. A grace that has the power to heal, the power to teach you how to overcome. Now, please, at our church, we do not limit grace to that old definition that grace is, by definition, undeserved blessing and unmerited favor. Now, I believe that grace is, by definition, it is undeserved blessing and grace is unmerited favor. Anybody thankful today that you do have some blessing you didn't deserve and some favor you didn't earn? Am I preaching to anybody today that has experienced that? But how dare we limit grace just to that? Grace is so much more. Grace empowers you. Grace gives you the desire to do the will of God and the ability to do the will of God. I want to preach today a true grace. You can write down the title. just want to call it true grace. And I'm believing at the end of the message we will walk away not with a false grace, not with an empty grace, not with a grace that still puts pressure on you and I to perform, but a grace that truly is Jesus Christ himself, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins and to give us the abundant life in Christ. Amen to that? 
Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our, our church. Thank you for this setting. We are so grateful today, God, that you love us, that you're for us, that you're with us. God, we are believing on a morning like today. Open up our eyes so we can see Jesus. Open up our ears so we can hear the Holy Spirit. Do something unique and profound. We love you more than life itself. And God, we are thanking you that baseball season is not coming to an end, but God, we get to have baseball season and football season is about to start. God, we thank you that this Thursday is the first game. We will taste and see that the Lord is good. Let the Seahawks win the Super Bowl. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. And everybody said. Amen and amen. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, like if you grew up with an exuberant amount of money, but I grew up in a home. My dad is a pastor. My mom is a school teacher. I grew up on a little island in Washington, and I grew up in that type of home. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. Am I preaching to anybody? We didn't have like a lot of stuff. Like I had friends that had money, so I knew what that looked like. But as for me in my house, my mom made my clothes, okay? So we didn't have a lot of stuff growing up. But I always knew that we didn't have a lot. Like when you grew up and you don't have money when you're young, you don't really realize it until you go to your friend's house that has money. Okay, so I started to realize when I went to one of my rich friend's house, oh, that's what money is. And it wasn't the cars and it wasn't the house and it wasn't all that. It was the fact that I had this rich friend and he took me into his pantry. He's like, you want to check out the pantry? I'm like, what's a pantry? We have a closet. Okay, so he's like, you want to check out the pantry? And I go into this pantry and all of a sudden he's, intro he's introducing me to like cereals and sodas I have never seen before. Like he asked me, he's like, he points to this box and he's like, hey, you want to um, have some Cocoa Puffs? I was like, Cocoa Puffs? What are those? Because at my house, we have a bag of cereal, and it's called Cocoa Roos. Am I preaching to anybody today? Y'all don't feel my pain. Y'all don't know what I've gone through. He's like, hey, hey, it's after school. Do you want a Dr. Pepper? And I'm like, a Dr. Pepper? I grew up in a house where our can is a different color, and we have Dr. Thunder. Come on, Walmart people. You know what I'm talking about. I just, I grew up in a house where it's like, all my friends have Nike, I have LA gear. You know what I mean? Like, just, I just always grew up with the knockoff, the fake, the, like the, 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 the thing that wasn't the real thing. I want to preach this morning, not out of a counterfeit grace, not out of a false grace, but out of a true grace, the real McCoy grace. Come on, anybody believe today that Jesus Christ, he is who he says he is, and he could do what he said he could do. Oh, come on, let's applaud and thank God. Come on, if you believe, this is not a counterfeit gospel. It's a gospel that has the power to deliver. Now, when Peter says... Now, I've been testifying, I've been teaching you about this true grace. What is, he, what is he countering? What is the opposite of what he's talking about? I want to give you a few thoughts today. In fact, five things of what a true grace is that he was dealing with at this era, at this time of history. Write down point number one. I love this thought about grace. True grace always produces true holiness. True grace always produces True holiness. In other words, let's go to Romans chapter 6 and watch what Paul the Apostle says. He says basically uh, grace is not a license to sin. Watch what he says here in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Ha! Certainly not, said one translation. And by no means, says this translation. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
In other words, here's what grace is not. True grace is not a license to do whatever you want to do. True grace is not. Now, I was with some, some, some pastors the other day, and, 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 and it just makes me laugh because sometimes we have such a, a minute, small-minded thinking of grace. And so these guys that were joking around, they're having fun, and, and their behavior was a little bit out of control, and maybe saying some things that are over the line and, and doing some behavior that maybe some Christians would judge. And, um, and as they're doing it, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. Like, you live according to your conscience. You live according to your theology. I believe, though, that right believing leads to right behaving. And so I'm watching their behavior. I say, okay, that's what you believe. And one of them made this flippant comment like, ha, ha, you know, we could do this, you know, because we under grace. And, I, 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 you know, socially, I hate that guy that, like, corrects people. Like, it is, I hate that guy. Well, theologically, that's off, you know, because, like, I'm not going to do that. But I just thought, you know, the reality is that when you get true grace, it will produce inside of you true holiness. In other words, when grace gets a hold of your life, you want to be holy. You want to be set apart. You want to fulfill the law. You want to be righteous before God. Come on, anybody believe today? True righteousness comes when true grace comes in. And, uh, and uh, just let me just say this. Our God is not into behavior modification. That's why I'm not looking at these guys going like, oh, man, your behavior is off. Oh, my gosh. No, because at our church at Zoe, we are not into behavior modification because we're into life transformation. Jesus can change our life. And when you have an encounter with grace, you no longer want to talk like that, live like that. What did the Bible just say? Romans chapter 6, shall we live in the sin camp anymore? No, we talked about it last week. We've been transferred from this prison over to the prison of righteousness. Why would I behave over here and have a belief over here? No, my behavior lines up with my believing. True grace leads to true holiness. Come on, if you believe that God's given you a craving and a desire, come on, to live and do the will of God. Come on, anybody, just clap and thank God today if that's your desire to live that kind of life. I can always tell when a true grace comes in because your appetite, your desire to do the will of God, it always increases. In fact, watch here what the Bible teaches us in Titus. I love these verses here in Titus. Read along here on the screens. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does it do? It's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous, oh, I love that part here at the end. Zealous for what? Good works. Not good works that lead to salvation. We already got our salvation in Jesus, but there's a desire to work out our salvation. Come on, to live in holiness. Why? Because we just received the grace of God. Come on, I'm believing that our church, we will receive a true grace. It will produce inside of us true holiness. Come on, we can applaud and thank God if you believe that's happening to you. In fact, the more the law is preached and the more the law is taught, the more we live under the law, we cannot fulfill any holiness. But grace empowers us to be zealous, empowers us to do the work of God. Grace actually gets involved in our life and produces a holiness that it goes above the law. I love that. Point number one today, true grace produces. It will actually give us a true holiness. Write down point number two today. I love this about the commandments. Can you put down point number two? True grace 
that will always teach us that the Ten Commandments are good, holy, and just. Watch what a counterfeit grace teaches. It teaches a disregard for the commandments. True grace teaches us that the Ten Commandments are good, holy, and just. So in other words, now we know that in Exodus chapter 4, this is the beginning of the, when, when, when God starts to speak to Moses and he receives the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai. And we talked about this last week, just quick review, that when the law was given, when Moses wrote down the Ten Commandments and he came down from that mountain, that he came down and he preached, what did he say? He said, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And when he preached the commandments and the law of God, the Bible says the first time he declared the law, 3,000 people died. Now in the New Testament, in the New Testament believer, that when Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes and the Spirit of Jesus comes, the first time the gospel goes forward, 3,000 people don't die, but 3,000 people are saved. That's the difference between the law and grace. Now, over here, these are the Ten Commandments. Now, I want to tell you, the Ten Commandments, we don't disrespect them. We don't disregard them. We don't look over them. We don't bash them. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill every commandment. So we, and our, in true grace, doesn't disregard the commandments, but it actually looks at them as pure, holy, and just. Commandments will tell you what man should do, but grace can tell you who God is. Now, we cannot fulfill the commandments on our own. We need the grace of God to come into our life to teach us how to live and walk out the righteousness of God. But I'll tell you, true grace never looks at this and says, what a, it, it's, it's a bad sign. It's almost like, um, let's say we go down to a lake and there's a huge sign at the lake that says no swimming. There's no swimming at this lake. Now, is the sign bad? Is the sign bad because it's up? No, the sign is just pointing to the activity that should not happen here. But the law, the sign of God, it could not give us the power to uphold that rules. In fact, that sign, the law teaches us that, that, that when the law comes, sin increases. In other words, all the law does in my life, when I see no swimming here, oh, you come on, you already know where I'm going. It, when it says no swimming, you and I, we want to find a way to sneak around the sign and we want to jump in the pool can I get a Pentecostal amen because what does the law do the law shows us that we we have a desire to sin that we want to do what's wrong but grace never teaches that the commandments are bad grace never says that this law is so bad in fact let's look at our next verses here in in the book of Romans and watch what the Bible teaches us here in Romans chapter 7 verse 7 through 12 well then Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there was no law, sin would not have that power. The law itself is holy and it is commanded are holy and right and good. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human and a slave to sin. Is the trouble with the sign, don't jump in the pool? No, the trouble's with me. 
I want to sin. I want to do what's wrong. I want to jump in the water. This sign is holy, it's good, and it's just a true grace. Actually, it upholds the, the commandments. It, it, it acknowledges the commandments. In fact, read here, Romans, uh, Matthew 5, 17. Watch what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I love what Jesus is teaching us this morning because so many times we get into grace and we go, oh man, yo, that's old school. That's the commandments. That's Old Testament. Don't you do that. Don't you have a theology that throws out the Ten Commandments. We will do our best by the grace of God to uphold. I will not commit adultery. I will not murder. I will not covet. I will not live a life that doesn't honor the Sabbath and the day of rest. I will honor my Father. This law is holy. It's good. It's just. And because I have grace, I have the power to uphold come on are you grateful today don't you get in that counterfeit grace that teaches oh it's, it's just it's all it's all school we're in that new school grace do whatever we want live however we want say whatever we want no no that's not true grace true, true grace says this is holy this is just and we could have never fulfilled the law or the commandments we needed Jesus to become our righteousness to give us life and freedom in fact when we really receive a true grace we don't just look at the law and go like, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to get by? Okay, well, science says don't jump into water. I'm not going to jump into water. I'm going to fulfill every command. Write down point number three. This is so true grace. True grace, actually, it will teach us that we will go above. We will do everything we can to more than fulfill the law. We'll go above and beyond. Now, let me just teach you, uh, just show you real fast how this is played out in the New Testament. I want to show you a story in Luke 18, and I want to show you a story in Luke 19. Let me show you how this, when you, when you receive a true grace, when you receive Jesus and the good news of the gospel, you won't just try and fulfill this law, but when you have an encounter with grace, you will actually want to go above the law. Watch this. Luke 18, there's a story of this young, he's, he's young, he's rich, he's a ruler, He's got all that he could ever want. And he comes to Jesus and he tries to bait him. You know the story. He comes and goes, Jesus, um, what must I do to, to inherit everlasting life? In other words, how, what I got to do, what I got to skimp by, what rules do I have to play by to get up to heaven? You tell me, Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, um, you know the law. You know the commandments. What are they? Kids like, oh, man, I'm in, I've, been, I've grown up in church. I went to Sunday school. I know this. He's like, so easy. The, uh, you cannot murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet. You shall not have any other gods before God. He starts laming them off. And he goes, and by the way, Jesus, I've been keeping the law from the time I was a youth. He starts bragging about how good he is at the law. Jesus looks at the young, rich, young ruler, and he goes, yeah, but one thing you lack. Go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And when Jesus said that, this kid was so heartbroken, it says he walked away and he couldn't actually do it. The next chapter, this is so the Holy Spirit. The next chapter in Luke 19, Jesus is walking down the street and he encounters a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a bad guy. He's a robber. He's got a hard heart and a bad reputation. Remember, Jesus calls his name. He comes down from the tree. He's about as short as a Keebler elf. He comes down from the... Throwback Thursday, Keebler elves. And yeah. Uh, he comes, down the he comes down the tree, and remember the Bible says that he comes to Zacchaeus' house. Watch here what it says in Luke 19 about an encounter with grace, and watch what Zacchaeus says to Jesus off this encounter. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look here. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. The Holy Spirit puts Luke 18 and Luke 19 right together to show us when you try and fulfill the law and live by the law, it produces nothing in your life. But when you have an encounter with grace, you go above the extra mile above the law. Come on, anybody believe in today that we've got a true grace in our life? We're not looking to just see what the sign says and live under the law. No, we're going above the law. Oh, I love what the Bible's teaching us. Come on, put up the next verses here. And I love this so much. In, 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 uh, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, Those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Write down the next point. Point number uh, four today. True grace is not about our righteousness, but the righteousness of God given as a gift to those who put their faith in Jesus. True grace is not about our righteousness, but the righteousness of God. Let me read that verse again. Romans chapter five, verse 17. I love this scripture so much because it teaches us that if you got, if you got grace in your life, you will overcome and you will reign in life. Watch this, Romans 5, 17, one more time. It says this, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. In other words, when you receive righteousness and you receive the gospel and the true grace, you're not suffering, you're not kind of limping along, but when you get the righteousness of God in your life, you will actually overcome addiction. You will actually overcome brokenness. You will overcome all that stuff that has been keeping you under. Righteousness of God actually takes you to a place that you cannot take yourself. The reason why this law, is it bad? No, it's holy, it's good, and it's just. It just couldn't give us the power to reign in life. It couldn't give us the power to overcome sin. It, in fact, we had to be a slave to sin in the law. The law taught me how bad I am, but couldn't deliver me to be good. The law taught me what I needed, but couldn't actually fulfill anything in my life. But when the grace of God appeared in my life and I became righteous in Jesus, all of a sudden I have everything I need to reign in life. I want to say to your life, you have been created to reign in Christ. You have been created to overcome in God. I want to tell you today, you are the head and not the tail. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're the light of the earth, the salt of the earth. Come on, somebody thank God today that you have been called to reign in Christ. Now this is so important. True grace is not about our righteousness. It's about his righteousness. True grace is not about works. And a counterfeit, right, a counterfeit grace, here's what counterfeit grace teaches. It teaches some of it is on him, but some of it is still on you. So this is what counterfeit teaches. God's going to do his part, but church, you better do your part. So Jesus died for your sins, but man, you better live right, get right. This, be, this, this becomes emotionally and spiritually exhausting. This becomes taxing on your soul. Because all of a sudden you live with this fear of like, am I condemned? Am I, am I, am I guilty? Do I have shame? Does he forgive me? Does, does he love me? I've made a mistake. No, true grace says it's not about my righteousness. It's about a righteousness that was received as soon as I said yes to Jesus. Let me just teach you today that when you said yes to Christ, you became the righteousness of God. When you said yes to Jesus, you became just as righteous as Jesus. You can't get any more righteous. In fact, we can 
can, be, we can grow in righteousness, we can grow in holiness, we can grow in our zealous works, but we cannot become more righteous. We have already received the righteousness of God. True grace is not about your righteousness. Stop trying to prove to God that you're so good and you've got it together and you are holy, but start declaring, I believe that Jesus makes me whole. Jesus makes me righteous. Jesus gives me grace. It's all about you. It's in Christ that I'm justified. It's in Jesus I find forgiveness. Stop trying to save yourself when you've already been saved. Stop trying to sanctify yourself when the Holy Spirit is working righteousness into your life. It'll change your whole life the way that you live. That you just go, I don't have to prove my righteousness. I could never live up to it. I could never fulfill the law. I couldn't do it on my own. But the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God came. And the righteousness of God came in my life. Did you know why? The righteousness of God came into your life not to give you goosebumps and make you feel good on a Sunday. The righteousness of God is not so you go like, okay, I need to come. Uh, Jesus, will you help me with my mortgage payment? And I kind of I feel like I need, to, um, I, need, I need to raise at work and I need some stuff. No, the righteousness of God is so you can reign in life. You're an overcomer. You're not a slave to addiction. The law says you should love your wife, but there's no desire. But when grace comes in and righteousness comes in, it gives you a burden for your household and a burden for your wife, and you begin to reign in life. Come on, anybody thankful today? The righteousness of God has come in, not so you can limp and struggle, but so you can overcome. Listen, you cannot overcome living under the law. Don't you live a life that's half Christian over here and half Christian over here, and you go, Jesus saves my sins, but I still got to work hard, and you will get stuck in the middle, and you will struggle. You will feel frustrated. You will feel like Christianity didn't work for me. It wasn't Christianity didn't work for you. You just didn't receive a righteousness to reign. This only can come through Christ. It cannot come through merit. It cannot come through confession. And it cannot come through your own abilities. It only comes from receiving Jesus, confessing Jesus, declaring Jesus, saying Jesus, you are my righteousness. I have no righteousness of my own. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Watch here in Romans. Look at this next verse. That was Romans 5, 17. But watch Romans 3, 21 through 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets even testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Let me just read that part again. This is so important. Watch what it's saying. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to how many who believe? In other words, there is nobody here today that gets a crack at righteousness and some other people that were like, yo, in a month, you just keep coming and, and you just fill out a card, get the bracelet. I really see righteousness in your future, bro. I see it, bro. You got, you got mad potential. You got future in this thing. You like coffee? Yo, you're going to fit in, bro. It actually is teaching us that as soon as you declare, I believe in Jesus, you are righteous. And so many of us, we're struggling and we're trying to work so hard to become righteous when you are righteous. I wonder how your life would be lived different if you already know I'm the righteousness of God. 
I am made righteous. I'm not trying to earn my righteousness. I'm not trying to get in good with God because I am good with God. God loves me. He is for me. His wrath has been turned away because of the sacrifice of the son. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all my penalty. He took all my guilt, all my shame, all my condemnation. And so because he paid the payment, I can now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have been called to reign in life. That's a true grace. A counterfeit grace will always try and get you to trust Jesus for this side, and but trust yourself. you got to work it out. Come on, everybody. Work a bit harder, you guys. It's not true grace. True grace, that will never deliver. It will never satisfy. It will never make you keep coming back to Jesus. You'll be empty. You'll be bankrupt. You'll be frustrated. And in fact, you'll probably leave the religion because you'll say, I tried Christianity out, and it didn't work. I was left feeling so broken. It left me so frustrated. I, it, it didn't work for me. No, no, no. It wasn't that it didn't work. You didn't have a right believing that leads to right behaving. My right believing is in Jesus. True grace. Come on, let's applaud and thank God if you believe in that today. Come on, here's the last one. Is this encouraging anybody today? Come on, here's the last one. True grace teaches us that our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. Oh, this is a true grace. Worship team, you can come join me. True grace teaches us that our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. This is a true grace. This is a true theology. I want to show you one, two last verses, one in Ephesians 1, and then I'm going to show you some in 1 John. I just want to teach you two verses, and I want to teach you today that the counterfeit grace teaches you. Here's what counterfeit grace teaches you before we look at the verses. Counterfeit grace says all of your past is forgiven, but as you confess, you're going to, you're going to be forgiven in the future. So your past is good, but oh, don't you raise your hands at church until you get some stuff right with God, buckaroo. Because you know you can't lift your hands. You're not forgiven yet. You haven't confessed it. It's not a true grace. That's a counterfeit grace. Counterfeit grace says it's up to you to confess. No, no, no. Jesus died for your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, anybody believe that today? Watch here. Let me show you two verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. It says this. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Let me show you the definition of this word here. In the original Greek text, the verb for have, in him we have forgiveness. The verb for have is in the present tense, which indicates durative action meaning we are continually having forgiveness of sins, including every sin we will ever commit. In him we have redemption. In him the forgiveness of our sins, we have it. Let me show you this in 1 John chapter 2, last verse of the day. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Let me show you the definition of this one. The Greek perfect tense is used here for are forgiven, meaning... This forgiveness is a definitive action completed in the past with the effect continuing into the present. Come on, I am thankful today that the true grace teaches me my past sins are forgiven, my present sins are forgiven, my future sins are forgiven. Come on, anybody thankful today that Jesus Christ himself, he became a curse. Come on, he took my place when he hung on that cross. I am thankful today that he relieved me from the law and sin and death, and he actually gave me a righteousness that is not of my own. It's in Christ. Now listen, listen, 
please hear me. I just want to end with this thought. God is not a God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, says there is therefore, sorry, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who own Christ Jesus. There is therefore now, 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 today, there is no condemnation, no condemnation, no guilt, no shame for anybody that's in Christ. Listen, the reason why there's no condemnation is because Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he took the condemnation, he took the guilt, he took the shame. Don't you live with a grace theology that says God is going to make somebody pay for your sins twice. Don't do it. Don't you think that Jesus paid all your condemnation and then think that God on a Sunday morning is waiting for you to confess something and lording your guilt over you and lording shame over you until you confess something. No, you can stand at church on a Sunday knowing you may be a sinner, but you're saved by grace. You may have some mistakes, but God has forgiven your sins. You may have done some dumb things, but Jesus Christ, son of the living God, he relieved all the condemnation. He paid all the guilt. He took away the shame. Come on, am I preaching to anybody this morning that is thankful for a true grace in Christ? Come on, lift your hands. Let's thank Jesus today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you were inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.